0: Amen. Thank you so much for your giving, for your faithfulness. Uh, Thank you for being with us, for any of you that are new, um, that uh, came in maybe a little bit after worship started. My name is Dave. I'm the pastor, and I'm just celebrating that you have joined us Uh, for the end of our series, and just on the cusp, I mean, let's be real, we're all waiting for J.P. Dorsey to preach next week, so you got to stomach me getting ready for J.P. next week, but I am stoked about uh, J.P. Dorsey bringing the word, and so we wrap up our series today called Dear Church, J.P.'s Preaching, and then in a couple weeks, I'm going to do a three-week series called Tears that the Holy Spirit, uh, honestly, seated in my heart 11 years ago. And he's like, that sounds like the most depressing series imaginable. Uh, but I promise you, you're going to want to be here at, uh, at the 20th. I know we're going to preach on grieving and talk about tears of grief. We're going to talk about tears of joy. We're going to get into what Scripture says about tears. And I believe it's going to be a healing series that's going to lead us into April. Um, so I'm very, very, very stoked about this. So open your Bibles. Uh, At least for the last time for this series, to Revelation chapter three. Revelation three. I I keep having people say, "I'm praying you're just going to keep pushing through Revelation," and I just say, "No, we're not doing that. We're sticking to this and sticking to what the Lord has directed us." And we are wrapping up seven weeks, seven churches. Of, of, of Jesus speaking into hearts, speaking to lives, giving them direction and shaping the church. Uh, so would you just pray one more time with us? Jesus, I thank you for this day, the opportunity to share your word. I ask that you would anoint every word that would go forth. And let it be like seed on good soil, God, not to make any name of any person, personality, church denomination, but that the name of Jesus would be made famous. So Lord, this is your time. This is your place. I ask that you would just help guide and lead us throughout this day. And Lord, continue to warm up the weather and send the sun. We say that in Jesus name. Amen. This morning, um, instead of just starting off with the scriptures, uh, we're going to actually read them throughout uh, the entirety of the message itself. But uh, this morning I want to talk about this last church, the church of Laodicea. Because let's be frank, that's a fun word to say. Laodicea. It just rolls off the tongue. And we're going to talk about this church and the idea of doors that were closed. Now when I think of closed doors or open doors, whether they're open or closed, I think of my grandma Price, um, who used to scream at me, For numbers of reasons. Um, I can give you a list of things, you know. David, you know, stop hitting your sister. David, stop setting the bedroom on fire. David, stop, stop. Yes, that was something I actually did at one point. That's a long story. Um, But I remember I would go over their house. They lived in downtown Detroit. And I would have friends down there. And they would come over the house. And so I would just open up the screen door. And I would talk to my friends. And then, you know... These are things that I don't think about as a kid, but when you're paying the bills, like for air conditioning or heat, you know when the door is open and when the door is closed. And so for me, and especially in the summer, you got the door open, um, I'm letting the cold air out, and I'm also letting all of the insects in. And so I would hear over and over from my grandma Price, she would say, David, in or out? In or out? I'm like, what does that mean? I knew what it meant. What What do you mean? Stay in and close the door or go out and close the door. Either way, don't do this in-betweenness, in or out. Today I want to talk about the idea of an open door that should be opened up so that that who this church belongs to ought to be able to come in instead of being what the church of Laodicea was, which was keeping him out. Uh, Laodicea is a city that was uh, very well known in the region It was uh, very well known for numbers of things. In fact, if you really studied Laodicea, uh, you see that Laodicea was was, um, known for three things. It was known for its fashion industry, known for its financial industry, and it was known for its pharmaceuticals. They all start with the letter F, with the exception of pharmaceuticals. Some of y'all were writing me emails at that point. Pastor Dave is a heresy here. Um, but that's what, that's what they were famous for. Now, their fashion, they were known for their black wool. They would create textiles from their black wool. They, had, um, they didn't have what, one black sheep. They had, they had uh, like loads of them, and they would bring that wool in, and they would utilize it to create something that they were just known for in the region. People would come there for their black wool and for their, te- their textiles. They were also known for the gold. If there was an ancient Wall Street of that day, this would be Laodicea. They were just known for their immense wealth. They've got textiles, they've got wealth. And they were also known for pharmaceuticals, specifically an eye salve, that if you were having trouble with your eyes, that you would go to Laodicea, and they would give you an eye salve that would help heal whatever melody that you had going on. If you had pink eye, they would send you there. Um, I don't know if you needed glasses in that day. My guess is no glasses of that day. If you were having trouble seeing, they would send you to Laodicea to see, if their salve could heal you. And so you've got a city that had great resource, a city that had great sustenance, affluence to it. They were well-known. They had everything going right in terms of a city and a culture. And yet Jesus has this letter sent to Laodicea. Now, there's something that really... I, I. identify within the letter that we're about to go through, and it's something that is very specific, is every single church up to this point, Jesus has said something good about them, and for some of them, Jesus had something negative to say that needed to be corrected. Last week, Philadelphia was one of the exceptions. You're doing well, keep doing it. But this is the church that is very different from the others because Jesus has nothing really good or positive to say about that church. How would you like to go to the church for which Jesus has nothing positive to say? Yeah, it's like a groan. Yeah, that's literally what's going on. Verse number 14 says... Write this message to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the new creation. Now let's stop right there uh, because if you're taking notes or you got your paper Bibles open, it's hard to do it on you Version because you have to select the whole verse. But circle that word amen. That word amen is an important word. Because for every church that Jesus writes to, that speaks to from Revelation 2 and 3, he introduces himself in a different way. That would be a great Bible study. If you're looking for a really good Bible study, study the way Jesus refers to himself in each of these churches. And in this one, he says, I am the amen. Do you know what amen means? Somebody gets the Pop-Tart over here. It means, so be it. That way, like, that, that way, if I'm preaching and I say something that's half decent or palatable and it agrees with the Lord, you're supposed to say, Amen. Hey, so, so be it. Amen. For example, Jesus is Lord. Amen. Jesus is Savior. Amen. Jesus is the one and only way to heaven. Amen. Go blue. <sighs> I tried. Man, we got a lot of people who need to get saved this morning. But Jesus is the amen. The word amen not only means so be it, it also means the final word on the subjects. And that's something that Jesus is trying to emphasize here that he's not just the so be it. He is the final word on the subject. He is the yes and he is the amen because there's so much of our culture that we want our emotions to be the final word. We want our economy to be the final word. We want our military to be the final word. We're talking a lot about that these days. We're talking about what should have the final word, the final say, but we have got so many things that shift around like the sands of this world and Jesus is trying to get the eyes of Laodicea apart them, saying, listen, stop looking for other things to be the final word on your life, your salvation, your hope, and your peace. Look to me, because I am the amen. I am the final word. God, help us as a church when we think that we should have the final word. God, help us in the American culture when we think that our ideals of America are the final word for the world. Listen, America is not a hope for the world. Jesus is the hope for the world. He is the final word. The final word, the final word. Jay, thank you for saying amen to that. That would have been the best place to say it. And so here we get this phenomenal word, Jesus, I am the amen. Verse 15. I know all of the things you do and that you are neither hot nor cold. And I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. How many of you in your prayer time would love to hear that from Jesus? You are so palatable to me that if you were in my mouth, I literally would just spit you right back out. When I think about that, I think about, have you ever been inspired by a movie to do something? Apparently, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. And of all the movies, one of the most inspirational movies is that great gospel movie, Rocky. Love Rocky. Rocky. And when I started working out and getting ready for my, at least, especially varsity football, there's a one scene, because I want to begin to pack on size, so you need protein, and where's some of the best protein eggs? Remember that scene in Rocky, where he cracks five eggs, and he just chugs them down? Have you ever tried that? If you want to know what sin feels like, put a raw egg in your mouth. And I remember gagging uncontrollably We're trying to be Rocky Balboa in Sterling Heights, Michigan, with no ability to do exactly, which is why I never turned out by it like Rocky whatsoever. Spitting. Jesus says, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. Now, to fully understand this, you need to understand the location of Laodicea. Laodicea had a problem with their water supply, and it was actually located between two neighboring cities. Hierapolis was famous for its hot hot springs. There were hot springs that were refreshing baths for people who are weary, hurting and tired. If you were just weary from a journey, you were weary and just tired out, you can go right over to Hot Springs or to Heropolis, I think in Hot Springs, Arkansas right now, you go to Heropolis and you could sit in those saunas, those jacuzzis, I should say, and just feel like the the warmth coming back to you, your bones are just getting nourished, so to speak, because there's minerals in the water. It was a very famous place. Just south of of Laodicea was Colossa. And it was famous for cold water, where when I think of cold water, I think of refreshing water to revive a parched soul. And the problem of Laodicea is the cold water would reach Laodicea and begin to warm up a little bit. And the hot springs that were feeding people's bodies in the jacuzzis would kind of make its way toward Laodicea and begin to settle. And what began to settle was the sulfur driving the hot springs. So Laodicea had good textiles, had all the gold, and they had the pharmaceuticals, but it smelled horrible because the sulfur settled there and their water was wretched because it was lukewarm sulfur water. So I brought up a couple examples here. So I've got, when I think about this time of year, there's nothing better, the little product placement, the K-First coffee mug. Nothing better than getting yourself, especially in the morning, a way to splash yourself with some nice hot coffee, or in my case, because my doctor, a nice hot cup of decaf. Mmm, brown water. To be able to sip and just to walk around and talk and enjoy your day and just enjoy the warmth coming to your bones and wishing you can have real coffee. It's, I love, love, love having my morning cup of coffee. That's Especially this time of year, it's the best. But in the summer, is there anything better in the summer than an ice-cold glass of lemonade. To be able to sit back on your porch, I don't have one, but if I had one, I would sit back on that porch, rock on a chair, I do like a good rocking chair, yell at the kids getting near my my garbage cans, I guess that's what you're supposed to do, Um, just enjoy the day, or after one of my favorite things to do, I love cutting the grass. Anybody, you love cutting the grass? Okay, a few, few safe people here love cutting the grass. I just get on there, I listen to podcasts, I sing at the top of my lungs to something. Uh, I have nice lines that right there on the lawn so that when Google Earth takes another picture of my home that you can see the checkerboard in my backyard. I love it. And then you come in and you just enjoy a better cup of lemonade than I made this morning. So this is the reality of what the neighboring cities brought to the table. Because in one neighboring city, you can walk and get some warmth. It's been a long day to sit back and get some warmth, get some nourishment for the weariness that's there. Or if you needed a time of refreshing, you can go down to Colossa and you can get a drink. But what we've got in Laodicea is neither one of those. What we get in Laodicea... is the worst Arnold Pommel you've ever seen in your life. That's really not bad, let me just be real. That's really not bad. And it's really not good either. But we've got a very simple illustration that Jesus is trying to paint a picture. Because he's trying to point towards cities and he's trying to wake up the church because he's trying to tell them that there is a physical reality that is present that is describing a very serious spiritual reality that has taken place in their hearts. He's trying to help them understand that you've got no cold water for the spiritually thirsty, no hot water for the spiritually weary, that yes, you've got reputation, that you've got resource, you've got skills, you've got all of the things that are going on in in the city of Laodicea that has gotten into the church and you've brought that to the table, that you've brought all of this. I bet you that church in Laodicea, when they took up an offering, they had a big offering, that they had all the programs, they had all of these things going on. They brought all of that to the table because can I tell you what? There's one thing one person they forgot to bring to the table. And we find out from that in the scripture. Jesus says in verse, uh, in verse 16, since, you're not lukewarm, since you are like the lukewarm at water and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say that I am rich and I have everything that I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that can be purified by fire, then you'll be rich. Buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. You see that Jesus is already hitting their context, saying, listen, you trust it in gold, but what you need is not the riches from man. You need the riches from me. You try to clothe yourself with what you can do, but get your covering from me. You've been trying to heal your own eyes, but come get your healing from me. In verse 19, I correct and discipline everyone. I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Do we see what is actually going on in this place? That Jesus is has been asked to be brought to the table. He's like, you brought your resources, you brought your abilities to the table, but you forgot to invite me. God help us if we would ever be a church that got good at the stuff of doing ministry, but we forgot that, we have, that this thing that we do is not about us, it's not about our abilities, it's not about our personality, it's about one person and his name is Jesus. And so Jesus comes in, and he gives a strong word. He's like, "This is why I'm trying to discipline you. I don't Anybody enjoy being disciplined? Is that a fun thing for anybody? Anybody need counseling? Just check in, check in. Nobody likes being disciplined. Um, I was raised in a home where my dad disciplined. My dad believed in the laying on of hands, as the Bible would say it, or we just call it spanking. All right, I grew up, I get grounded and spanked. It was the double whammy. That's just what we knew in the household. But so often in our late, our, our progressive Christianity, is we don't want to talk about discipline. Because why would a loving God discipline his children? Why would a loving God do that? A loving God wouldn't be harsh. A loving God wouldn't just tell us what's wrong. He would just simply love us. And I'm afraid that we have manipulated the image of God. And no wonder why we don't see Jesus missing. is because we created an image of him. Then we think he's there and he's not. But I want to just give a couple thoughts here. That first of all, God is love, but love is not God. I need you to write that down. God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. God is love, but understand this. Love is not God. Some of us, we, we think that they say the same thing, but I'm here to tell you they don't say the same thing. Because some of us, we will feel love and we automatically, well, that feeling must be God. I feel love for something or for somebody, so that means God must be in it. And that's not necessarily the case. Because God is love. In other words, we understand God and God helps us understand not just what love is, the expression of love, but also the depth of what love is. But often in our culture that we get get it the other way around is I love and therefore I must know God and so God must be that way. As opposed to I seek the face of God and understand love and that's how I know what love is. We chase God and we don't chase love. The third thing I would say about discipline is this, is where there is no discipline, there is a lack of love. Where there is no love, discipline is actually abuse. But because God is love, and he is a loving father. God disciplines those that he loves, and it's from the heart of God that God disciplines us. I will never forget the conversation I had in my last week of ministry in the Detroit metro area, and I sat down with a student of mine, and I think I've told the story before, so forgive me, and he sat down with me just in a ball of tears, and, he, and he's like, Pastor Dave, my parents don't love me. I'm like, what are you talking about? Your dad's an executive. You got a brand new car for, for your grad party. You literally got a new car for graduation. You Crash it two weeks later, and they got you another car. Listen, they love you a ton. And I started listening out all the things that I trying to convince him how much his parents love him, and he just sat there weeping uncontrollably. He says, "You know what? If they loved me, they would have told me a no at some point. If they loved me, they would have disciplined me. If they loved me, they would have corrected me. But what type of parent hates their kids so much that they would never ever correct anything about their life? I will never forget the conversation, and I'm here to say that God loves us enough to correct us when we are off. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your love that when our lives are veering off, that the Spirit of God is there to correct and to convict our hearts and some of you that pinches a little bit in your heart because maybe you grew up with a very abusive father i'm not going to ask for a show of hands but i know this church well enough and i know some of your lives enough that what you grew up with was in an abusive atmosphere where there was discipline without love which is what i would call abuse and because of that some of you've had a hard time trusting the hand of god and most likely it's because you really don't know the heart of god And when you understand the heart of God, you understand the hand of God. And when you understand the heart of God, you understand why he does things. I don't know how many of you that when you look back in your life and your parents corrected something in you and that you didn't understand in the moment, but further down the road, you begin to thank God for that correction because of how it shaped your life for the coming future. That's how the Lord works. Which thirdly leads me to discipline is necessary to be a disciple discipline. If we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, discipline is necessary for all of us. What about you, Pastor Dave? I feel like God loves to discipline me. Believe me. I feel like I'm his favorite target. I'm the the oldest in the family, so I feel like I'm always the rough draft for everybody's issues. And I think that... I think the Lord just has fun disciplining me. But listen, I joke about it, but the reality is if we want to be disciples of Christ, then, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to be open to the Spirit of God beginning to speak into us, beginning to challenge us, and begin to shape us in ways that brings him glory. And then we get to verse 20, where Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. I need to have this up every week. I stand at the door and knock. Now normally, and I'll use it at the end of the message, I'll pre-warn you, I'll talk about this a little bit at the end, but normally when I talk about this message, this scripture, we are talking about salvation. I mean, you could Google it right now, give you permission, Google away. Google Jesus standing at the door and knocking and you're gonna get all sorts of pictures, paintings of Jesus standing at a door and there's always something to notice about that picture is there's no doorknob. Some of y'all have never known that because Jesus stands at the door. He doesn't force his way in. He's asking to be invited in. And so I have always read that with the idea of salvation, but Jesus is actually not necessarily talking salvation here. He is under, he's, he's outside the door of the church of Laodicea. Wrap your noggins around this. He is standing outside the doors of the church. And he hears the music going on. He hears preaching going on. He's hearing the, the kids' ministry going on. And he's standing outside and saying, listen, I'm out here. I need to be in there. Let me ask you a question. Do you knock on the door on your house? If you do, maybe we need marriage counseling. We could talk about that. I don't know if you knock you shouldn't knock on the door because you should have complete access. That's your house. But what has happened in this church in Laodicea is they have made the church about doing church and not being the actual church because if we're the actual church, we are the body of Christ. And the body cannot exist apart from the head. And the scripture says Jesus is the head. And so God help the church of today. Help us to not do church where we make church about tech. We make church about talent. We make church about the building itself. And we begin to utilize those things to do the thing that we want to do every Sunday instead of being about what we should be about every single Sunday when we come not to meet with the pastor not to celebrate with song but we've come to simply meet with Jesus. We've come to meet with him. We've come to encounter his presence. That's why we show up. We are after his presence. We long for his presence but the problem rose up in Laodicea where they were famous for the church is famous for all sorts of stuff, but not famous for making Jesus famous. And I wrote this down. When you couple material resources with a sense of religion, it develops a false sense of security and independence. And what happens is if we find our security in anything else than, other than Christ, we will develop a security apart from God with no dependence upon him. And that, my friends, leads us to a lukewarm I don't mind resources. I love when you give. I love seeing resources come in because when resources is com- resource comes in, ministry goes out. I love when resources come in. I love having worship team. I love seeing people get added to the worship team. I love the talent that God has given us. That's great. That's wonderful. But I never want to get so full of look at what we've become that we've become so self-sufficient upon what we can do and what we can provide and we've replaced the presence of Jesus because it's Jesus that can sustain us. It is only jesus that can build us and what i see so often in church culture is when we are missing something that we are more apt to begin to go to people to find out what can people do for me rather than stopping ourselves and beginning to ask jesus i need to start with you first jesus is not meant to be your parachute in case you get into trouble jesus is your first step so if you need encouragement believe me we've got people in the room that can encourage you but before you go for people why don't you turn to jesus If you need hope in the house, instead of looking for somebody to help give you hope, how about we start with Jesus? What if we stop looking at the next blog, the next podcast, the next book? And I'm all about those things. I read books every single week. I listen to podcasts every single week. But often we are going into Laodicea. We, We are trusting in our resources rather than recognizing that Jesus is out here saying, McFly, here I am. I'm here. Come to me call out to me because sometimes what we need is not the latest and latest podcast lingering out there and there's good words out on those podcasts. The latest book that's out there and there's great books out there. I can recommend books to you. But listen, sometimes we just simply need to stop ourselves and realize that we need the manifest presence of Jesus in our lives because Jesus wants to visit you more than a Sunday morning. He wants to visit you on your way to work in your car. He wants to visit you at your workplace. He wants to visit you in your marriage. Pastor, we need marriage counseling? That's great, but have you talked to Jesus yet? Well, I figured you you'd do that for us. I'm like, no. We gotta learn how to be a people that no longer leaves Jesus on the outside of our homes, knocking, on the outside of our workplace, knocking, on the outside of our school, knocking. We need to be the type of people that bursts the door open and says, before I even do anything, Jesus, be welcome in this place. You're the beautiful name that I need in me. You're the beautiful thing that we need right here. We need you invited into this place. We need his presence invited in and never to take it for granted. It's so easy to take things for granted nowadays, but the worst thing we can ever do is just take Jesus for granted. The church of Laodicea, so busy doing church that they forgot to invite the person for which the entire thing is centered around. Which brings me to our, my final few things here. Number one, that it's possible to do church and leave Jesus out. It is possible to do church and leave Jesus out. It is possible to sing songs that make us feel better and leave Jesus absent. How do we do that, Pastor Dave? How does that even happen? It happens when we stop making Jesus the center of everything that we do. It stops when we turn pastors into celebrities and we make church all about the guy in the platform. Please, for, for the love of everything that is, is good and holy, don't ever, ever make K First about Dave Berenger. Don't ever make it about a leader. Don't make it. I am, I am one of 15 pastors who have pastored this church and I'm not going to be the last. We have to make the church about Jesus. Instead of saying, hey, come here, our pastor at church, you know what, come meet with Jesus. Says, come here, our worship team, yeah, come, come learn about Jesus. It's gotta be about Jesus. Number two, we need to welcome the discipline of God in our lives. Worship team, if you join me. We need to welcome the discipline of God in our lives. We need to be the type of people, you've heard it so often from me, we need to be the type of people that are Psalm 139 people. What does Psalm 139 say? In fact, it says it twice. It says, search my heart, O God. We need to be the type of people that are living in such a way where we are saying, God, search our hearts. Is something wrong in my life? Lord, when I'm in a place of offense, Lord, search my heart. When I'm in a place of bitterness, Lord, search my heart. When I'm in a place of brokenness, Lord, search my heart. And we have to welcome the discipline of God to look into our lives and we have to be willing to say, God, search my heart and look at the things that are, not off, that are not right and are off in my life. And that leads me to number three. That God operates with an open door policy with us. Do we operate that way with him? book of Hebrews tells us that we can go boldly to the throne room of God. And Jesus gives us an open-door policy with him. We can go to him at any place, at any time, and anywhere. I've had this past week I had a conversation with somebody about prayer in schools. Pastor, you've been out of shape about no prayer in schools? I'm like, listen, as long as there's an exam, there will always be prayer in school. <laughs> you have no idea how many exams I spoke in tongues over. <laughs> Jesus has an open-door policy that we can go to him at any place, at any point, at any time. But the reality is, is he wants an open-door policy to our lives. Where we don't serve him on Sundays and maybe during a table meeting or during a training session or whatever that we're doing with the church. He doesn't want an open-door policy just for those moments. He wants an open-door policy every single day in every single aspect of your life. Why? Because he wants abundant life for you. this is not as uplifting as i thought it was going to be this morning let me say let me make a statement that here at k first we're not here to exist to make christians comfortable as much as we desire to make his presence undeniable we're not here to make believers comfortable if this is a church that you just want to come and be comfortable i'm just going to tell you you all need to find a different church and i hope you never find that church we're not here to make you comfortable. We want to make the presence of God undeniable. And what do we mean by that? Is when we show up to this place that the Spirit of God just takes center stage, that Jesus is lifted up and he's able to impact our lives, that would leave trails of change everywhere that we go. So how do we get that? It's the title of my message. Send out the invite. Send out the invite. you talk about inviting people to church? Yes, that's good. Invite people to church, but let's, let's, Backtrack a little bit. Let's give Jesus the invite. Let's give Him the invite. Let's not keep Jesus in the outsides of the doors. Let's not keep Jesus in the outside of what we're doing in here. Because we can't afford to be Laodicea living in a place where we've got people who are spiritually weary and they're looking for a place to just get themselves refreshed because they are weary, they're broken, they're fractured. And if Jesus isn't here, where are they gonna find it? What about those that are spiritually thirsty? That are coming into their parched because everything else that they have drunk from in this world have left them dry and needing, And in their souls they are parched and they are thirsty for something. And unless we make Jesus a the center, they're gonna walk away still thirsty, still searching, still wondering. And my thing is this, is we're gonna be a church that makes Jesus' presence undeniable. This is what I wanted to end with, with this series is that we would not follow Laodicea, but that we would learn from Laodicea, that we would walk in and say, Lord Jesus, we don't want to just do church. We want to meet with you. We don't want to not welcome to discipline, but we invite your discipline. That, Lord, we don't want just to engage in your open door policy with us, but, Lord, we say from Sunday to Sunday and every day and every moment in between, the open door is to you. Would you bow your heads with me?